about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. Or, or perhaps I should have said, "Can you just give me your Les Claypool imitation?" <laughs> Welcome to Worst Gig Ever, the fiftieth anniversary episode. I am Mike Pace. I'm Jeff Garlock. We are celebrating fifty episodes today with our special guest, Jess Rotter, who is a phenomenal presence in the world of band public relations as well as illustrations and record collecting this lady does it all she does it all you talk music she's been there yeah and uh, you and know she's got stories about it she does and it's it's slightly different from from you know she's not a musician per se she's not a comedian per se but she's worked on the other side she's she's seen the other side of yeah. the coin and is able to report on it exactly so was it heads or tails is the question uh, I think it kind of landed right in the middle hold on a second I'm gonna shoot myself in the face after <laughs> that so it's 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 a perfect way to commemorate the 50th anniversary and usher in 50 more where we're going all over the place. I don't know why it's the perfect way, but hey, it makes sense to me, you know, too. Every 50, you got to mix it up, and I feel... Hey, Mike, can I say congratulations yeah. on 50 episodes? I, Jeff, congratulations. I mean, this is... When we began this, you know, back in 1987, who thought Good, that quick math. 25, <laughs> six years later, we would have approached... 50 episodes. It's gone beyond our wildest dreams. We've upgraded our equipment. I'd like to say we've upgraded our guests, too. I we've think got so, some, too. We've got some true talent uh, in We here. had some wild dreams at the beginning. There, yeah. And it's gone beyond them. I feel like we, we have really taken podcasting to its logical extreme. You're welcome, worlds. We <laughs> did we it. And once you hear Jess Rotter on this episode... You're going to just want to stop living because it's so good. <laughs> but before you stop living, you should celebrate all of our old episodes. Yeah. If you haven't listened to them or if you have, re-listen to them. Go to worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com. We've got them all up there. Or go to iTunes. We've got all of our old episodes up there, and it'd be great. You go to iTunes. Give us some anniversary love. Give us some Please. ratings. Give us some reviews. It can just help out in our iTunes rankings. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Mike will give you a disgusting Speaking burp. of the ram's uh, horn. And then email us. Uh, just email us whatever you want at worstgigever at gmail.com. Yeah. Like us on Facebook. Th- uh, and thanks to everyone who has uh, helped us through these 50 episodes, the 50th anniversary. Thank you to our past guests yeah. for coming here to uh, the studio. Thank you to our present guests. Thank you to our present guest, Jess Rotter. You should listen to right, right now. Right now. One of the most like 
next level kind of crazy experiences I had was when I was sort of going on tour on the West Coast with the band Dunion. Uh-huh. Um, and they played a show. That's um, how you pronounce that band's name? Dunion. Yeah, I it's never not, pronounced it's not it right. Dungeon. Dun- dun- <laughs> I probably said Dungeon, yeah. I believe. There you and go. For the, for the listener, yes. it's Dunion. 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 <laughs> so... Um, but I was, uh, I was really, that was probably the closest band to me. And, mm-hmm. and we were, uh, going to all of their California shows and, and up the West Coast. And we did a show in LA and, um, I believe it was at the Echoplex yep. that was downstairs, the Echoplex. So they played this like crazy show and everybody was going crazy. And, um, we ended up going to this house, um, afterwards uh, where you know it was the band and it was all these you know crazy la people uh-huh. and everybody was just like getting in the moment and there were taxidermy taxidermy animals flying everywhere and you know i Some good taxidermy and we were so wasted and it was like <laughs> it was like late at night and i remember um somebody pulled out uh Two records. It was the Stonewall record, which was this really crazy psych rock record. And mm-hmm. then somebody pulled out Black Sabbath's first record and everybody just started screaming. And <laughs> they put on the first song and I was sitting at a table with uh, my friend Keith and the rest of uh, pretty much all of Dunian were sitting round table at this yep. thing. And, and they, everybody was so in the moment and it was like Black Sabbath's song comes on and the evil note kicks in and everybody's just like you know sitting around and i i the way when i picture it now it's like we didn't have instagram so we weren't like trying to be self-aware and like take a picture of like what was happening but i almost picture us this is an aerial view story where Uh i see us like kind of as a mandala almost and we're all just sitting there and black sabbath for the self-titled song kicks in and it's sort of the end and um, when he's like, oh, no, please, no. It's almost like everybody in the house, I could see it. Like, in every moment, it was just like, everybody screamed, oh, no, please, no. And it was just like, oh, yeah, the best moment of the best song is happening right now. It was a whole house uh, yeah. mouthing the words to the song. And there must have been, like, 50 people at this house. And the mandala table where I was, it was like everybody's head got in, like, a crazy headbanger position and the table almost spun and you can almost picture what was happening as the song kicked in it was so amazing but just as we were epically banging our heads the table completely broke (laughs) and the house everybody went crazy rioting when the song kicked in and I guess this table was a family heirloom of the place that we were at, and we just totally destructed the whole house. And it was just, I would, I'll never forget it, but it was just like, oh, sh- what have we done? But it was such a powerful music moment right. in my career that I just always picture this as this like powerful thing. But the table, like, as soon as we headbanged into the breaking point of Black Sabbath, the table totally shut down to the ta- to the bottom of the floor. Did the owner of the table freak out we, immediately? We got kicked out of the house. Yeah. It was um it was about 5:30 a.m. The owner came out and he's like, "Oh god, please no." Yeah. <laughs> After the table, please yeah. god help my table. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that was kind of a moment where I was like 
this is what it's all about. <laughs> oh Were you supposed to be staying at that at said place at that? No, point? I didn't even realize. You know, I'm not. I, I'm not a huge like drug taker or anything like that. But it uh-huh. just felt like this. This. This was that. That moment for me was like the party's over. Right. After yeah. this, you right. Know? For sure. With with even you know continuing my role right. as a, a, in being in the music industry, but um. Uh, yeah, so that was kind of a. I remember six o'clock in the morning. Then a cab dropped me off, and we ended up on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and of the star of, of someone named Cubby Broccoli. Very funny. Yes, guy. Uh, <laughs> Cubby Broccoli. Yeah, yeah, Cubby Broccoli. Isn't he related to Albert Broccoli of the the James Bond franchise, or is that Broccoli? Excuse me. <laughs> that would be Broccoli. Uh, Cubby yeah. Broccoli. <laughs> All right, this episode's going out to, Cub- to Cubby Broccoli. Cubby Broccoli. Um, so you're, so you're on tour with the band. Yeah. And I'm assuming, cause they had a, they had, uh, a buzz for a while. So that the show itself was probably pretty good, I'm thinking. Oh, right? it was excellent. Yeah. I mean, that band never disappointed. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. they were really always, uh, crazy, you know, monster band live. Right. And, yeah. And one of the, one of the greats that I worked with for yeah. sure. So that's, that's, that's a perfect segue into, um, talking about, you know, your experiences doing PR for years. Mm. Um, uh, not, not to date you. Right? Ten years. Hello. Hello. <laughs> working with, for a whole slew of bands, um, Best <clears throat> Coast, <clears throat> uh, Courtney Love, um, <laughs> Dunian. Cubby Broccoli. Oh, Cubby, Cubby Broccoli. Broccoli. <laughs> oh, the best of the biz, brother. Yes. So how like, uh, how do you approach as like a music lover yourself, mm. uh, a record collector, all of this stuff really involved in it, but not actually making music yourself? Mm-mm. Like what's your relationship with uh, – from kind of, kind, of, kind of come from the business side, dealing with the artist. How have you been able to like foster a relationship, cut through the bullshit like – yeah. Well, I think um, I never tried to consider myself as a publicist because mm-hmm. yikes, I don't. I really don't consider myself one. I just right. wanted to be somebody that spoke about music that I liked, and right. I think I got that from you know exchanging mixtapes as a young girl or whatever. But um, because I always had this illustration career, which for the most part, is known for scribbling music. Uh-huh. Um, it sort of became... Related, gra- music-related illustration. Yeah, it kind of was like, well, I kind of, to a point, understand what you're going through because I'm an artist as well, right. to a different degree. So it was always a bond. And also, uh, I'm a total record nerd, so right. that sort of helped um, yeah. a lot along the way. Um and yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I definitely wasn't a publicist that is kind of bullshitty. I know yeah. a lot of adjectives. You were ready to start moving and shaking. You were, <laughs> oh, yeah. The hey, shuck yeah. and jive. Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so do you feel like you almost kind of fell into it in some way? I definitely fell into yeah. it. I did not study, I studied painting in right. college. I mean, I didn't yeah. at all right. study publicity or anything like that. I spent a lot of money on magazines and right. I would intern at record labels and. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of how it started. And right. Someone had passed me on to to work at this publicity company called Girly Action, which was representing a lot of bands that I liked, and mm-hmm. so it sort of stemmed like that. But it was a very it's been a very surreal ride. Cause, right. You know, I've I've considered myself always to be on the artist level rather than the bits. I'm not, you know, sure on the business level. Yeah. Which was always I remember I worked at Arista for mm-hmm. two years. 
and felt terrible the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was just like, I'm not this, this, I'm like working for the wrong side. Yeah. Right. Every, like for 40 hours. Yeah. And then go to the practice space and work yeah. for the right side. I want to be talent. I want to be talent, not be paying <laughs> boys to bed fat boy. Fat yes. uh, club bills. <laughs> what? I boys, told you. They're, they're fat club bills. Whatever it's called. A weight loss clinic. Oh. What? I AK the fat their, club. Their, their weight loss clinic. No way. Yeah. When they, when the reunion album. They had a what? bunch of bills because, like, they're all chubby now. Like, they had all it had been a couple of years, so we had to pay some bills. They became men. They became ex- yeah. They XL. became they oh. became men. Uh, Heavyweights. Yes. So, Heavyweights too. Back in the habit. Oh, 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 podcast over. Heavyweights <laughs> one best movie ever. Um, okay, so you're. I mean, you you are approaching it. Uh, you know, on the artist level. But I mean, you know, you're you're definitely dealing. I'm assuming at some at a certain point, you're dealing with some egos, and you're dealing with people that that may. You know, that take their craft very seriously, and maybe there there's a degree of difficulty occasionally dealing with people like yes. how yeah how do you how do you uh, try to circumvent a situation like that, or how do you deal with someone who who might be uh, more difficult than uh, than your average bear? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, Killer. <laughs> you know, thankfully, I haven't. I mean, it's. I feel like the smaller bands are the ones with more, with bigger heads than the bigger bands, to be honest, Mm -hmm. Um, which is kind of crazy. But it's the same thing with like smaller publications. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are the more more intense. Is it is it like because it's a an us against the world kind of scenario where they they're still they feel like they still have something to prove. Kind of autonomous or. And on yeah. top of that, is it also because it's like this is, you know, if they now have you on their side, this might be the first time that they are actually having publicity. Yeah. And publicists. And all of a sudden they're getting that. Wait a second. We can like, go for it now. You know, yeah. like, is that it? Maybe like the I, logic behind them being jerks what? <laughs> <laughs> or slash. And yeah. is it because they're dealing with someone for the first time outside of their inner circle of band people? And so wait a second. Now we have someone and <laughs> slash or slash. And they're all a bunch of social retards uh, and don't know how to deal with people anyways. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, you know, that first time where omelet.com writes about your band. Right. And they're just like, well, <laughs> we, we've got something going here. Now, wait a second. Call me old fashioned, but is omelet.com an actual website? You wish. I do. I was like, let's go to omelet.com right now. By the way, today we're sponsored by omelet.com. Uh, omelet.com, the best but in all of your like music if, needs. Uh, literally, if you told me that. Let's crack the eggs of the music industry and bring you omelet.com. This is like. Also available as eggwayomelet.org. <laughs> oh, uh, if you. Would, you may have killed. You may have jumped. You may have jumped the show. <laughs> if you would tell Website me that closed. that omelet.com was like the this is the new stereo gun, like this is what the kids are looking. I possibly this is, take word for it. This I don't know is, like yeah, I would have I would have linked omelet.com on when we when we write the description right. for this episode. Well, right. you know, yeah, that's what sort of it's all become, yeah, right. hasn't it? So right. you know, you're. It, in a lot of ways, you kind of became it's like a like a, a journey or a journey woman, uh, a p- publicist. In that you you know you've you've worked for a lot of different bands, and I mean, is it the kind of like it, going back to the business aspect of of it again? Like you know, the band psych the record cycle ends. Maybe the label doesn't renew the contract. The band breaks up for whatever reason. Oish. Does the relationship dissolve? <laughs> like, what's that? 
I think because Jeff and I can both attest to having there's that mm. sort of very difficult balance of like friendship slash business relationship right. and you know it's, it gets it's 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 a sensitive topic it gets a little sticky yeah yeah it's like i thought we were friends right yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i mean i think the for me it's like yes i think that a lot of these relationships um you know bands look to you to sort of make them famous right. or, or their publicists get are it's a tough it's a tough job i mean yeah everyone you are always the first to blame if a record mm-hmm. fails for sure i mean we had just gotten the publicity we yeah. didn't get the publicity if we just got that write up on omelet.com you know if omelet.com posted that mp3 <laughs> god damn it we would have been you know and 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 why didn't you tell pitchfork to give us a better numerical rating <laughs> yeah and it's i like, wanted a 6.5 not a 6.2 <laughs> Man, you're really aiming high there. Yeah, well. <laughs> all I want is that 6.5. 6.5, that's, that's all I need. <laughs> uh, no, so, so yeah, so if you could elaborate on that idea of like, um, that, yeah, that it is like a sticky thing. It's sticky, yeah, of course it's sticky. I mean, you are the filter mm-hmm. for these people's, yeah. you know, to print something out and put it on their fridge or, you know, redeem themselves. I mean, I it's harder now when there's less print out there right. to sort of... You know, it's a very hard world to navigate. Right. Um, especially when only three to five websites are, are, are where the kids are, are looking these right. days. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Right. Um, but, uh, but I think, yeah, I think bands put a, a lot of effort into the publicist. And if they don't do what they expect, then yeah, you are kind of, you know, yeah, fake friends. I mean, the best relationships I've had has always been a realistic expectation between the bands and I, and and I do have a lot of. Thankfully, I have a lot of those in my life, yeah, which, right. are, which are good. But um, yeah, of course, there have been like bands that. I mean, I remember the first band I ever worked with uh, was totally called me fucked up at like 3 a.m. asking why they're not on the cover of Time magazine. And, <laughs> and, and you, were, you, have you were representing answer. Harry Chapin at the time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who the hell was going to be on? Uh, Burt Bacharach here. Uh, <laughs> look, yeah. the kid's all reading Time. <laughs> get me on that cover. If I don't get a review yeah. of The Economist, I'm going to lose exactly. it. The kids read Atlantic Monthly, <laughs> and they're not going to hear about uh, the new fucking Waves record. I don't know. Right. Do you? Did, how long did it take for you to kind of, if you have, like, learn not to take it personally? I think, I, yeah, it took me, yeah, definitely took me, like, six years into the mm-hmm. game, six, seven years into the game where I was just, my voice wasn't ten octaves higher anymore. Like, I'm so sorry, I'll get you into Time Magazine right. if I, yeah. Right. Um, it, it. It really like it took like years right. for yeah. me to not like have it affect me as much, you know. It you do what you can. You put it out there. You have relationships with these with these writers and whatever, and you see what they dig. If they yeah. don't dig it, they don't dig it, right. and then you get the feedback and yeah. you show it, you know. But I think uh, I think that's all you can do, really. Yeah. It's funny because I look back on the first time that Oxford Collapse played uh, South by Southwest, two thousand four. Yeah, we were on Canine Records, which is a, a small label based out of New York, uh-huh. and um, at the time we we had a uh, independent PR. 
uh, for our first record. And mm-hmm. we went down, we were playing a South by Southwest sanctioned showcase, which for the listener means they just throw like four or five bands that have nothing to do with one another together. Right. It's awful. You show up. It's kind um, of a South by show. Yeah, it's like people <laughs> show up for one band, they leave. Yeah. And then, right. so, and I remember us getting down there and this was our first year. We're so excited and you get the big, uh, Austin weekly paper and it lists all the bands that are playing mm-hmm. and it lists all the bands that are playing on our show except us Uh-oh. and we're like what the fuck this is and and so like, what happened is rebel motorcycle club getting all the it, press <laughs> that this would have been around that time yeah, actually well, we go ready. to the show it's at the mohawk in austin oh good place there are and and the venue is packed and so you know so it's kind of a small room there's this japanese band playing Uh-oh. with like you know japanese like kind of metal band playing people are going nuts we're like all right this is gonna be great <laughs> band ends room clears out literally to zero people we set up, <laughs> and the sound guy leaves. We and what? we start playing to literally a room of no one at South by Southwest on a Friday night. Like oh, no. you know, Franz Ferdinand being carried over the shoulders of adoring fans down the street, and eventually, yeah, a big star reunion. Yeah, we, Fuck you, Oxford class. We, we start playing. Eventually, people sort of trickle in, and um, I I. I said something between songs. I said, you know, we're we're the band that didn't get a write up on on the show tonight. Uh-oh. And then, you know, af- after the show, we're all going to kill ourselves or something. That was it was funny at the time. It was in jest. <laughs> then our bass player's uh, amp blew out along with half the electricity in the club. Whatever. We 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 finished the show. Left Austin with our tails between our legs. Drove to Oklahoma because we we're like, fuck this. We cannot deal with this. What? Week later, one of the, the, the ladies that was doing the PR called our drummer, told her we were the angriest band she had ever seen and that you cannot do that on stage. Uh, and subsequently that, that totally destroyed the relationship with the PR. That company PR person has not worked with many bands. For, you well, they, guys they, were, they were sort of our age and probably new at it. And, you know, they kind of, I mean, I'm not blaming them for right. the record not doing anything, but it, it didn't help matters. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was thinking, well, yeah, but it's a business relationship. They're supposed to be, this is their job. And, but the fact of the matter is, to bring it back to what you were saying, is that, like, there is an element of the personal in it. And, like, you know, if you get called out for something, like, sure. Of course, it's going to affect your work until you realize you can you can process it and, and not take it personally. Yes, yes. Right. And that's what that whole story was about. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's yeah, it's hard. It's I mean, at least for me, I was a hounder. Like I was like in 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 Panthers. Like yeah. I mm. hounded. I think my publicist Publicist. probably more than I should have. Like Biz Three, and they were great; they were fantastic publicists. But I would be like, I just need—I would keep sending emails because I just get bugged about stuff. Well, I think the idea is like I felt like I had to be the one pushing it too. Well, also the bummer is is like first of all, newspapers don't like now. It's like newspapers, unless you're like Lady Gaga on ice. Right. I mean, it's really hard to get in. Could you get me tickets to Lady Gaga on ice next? (laughs) But it's really hard to get coverage in these papers now. Whereas, and also like artists are Googling themselves on the 
<laughs> right. every the hour. Minute, you know, right. everybody's like searching for themselves, which right. is a new thing for publicists to fucking sure. deal with because right. now I have this narcissist sitting in their bedroom Googling themselves and being like, Squawk, why did right. I use this photo? And I'm like, well, Omelette.com didn't ask me for it. So, <laughs> right. you know, that's why. So it's very aggravating, you know, at those moments. But, um, it's, that's sort of the new scape that we're living right. in. You know, a couple of years ago, I think it was a lot easier to get into a lot of publications. And now, um, it's been uh, magazines are shutting down and, right. and pe- the visibility isn't there. And so it's just, it's a, it's a yeah. journey to Mordor to get right. coverage in and something that's good. It's also the idea, just bring back to what you were saying, Jeff, is that like, as the artist, like, that's what you're concerned about. Right. Like, you're not working a roster of bands that you're trying to work. It's like, this is what you're doing. Why yeah. aren't, you Got know. a roster of one. You know, exactly. The roster of one. It's like when, when, when we played in London and followed by a DJ set by the guitar player of Depeche Mode. And uh, I asked him, like, so when are you going to, like, or no, he, he played before us. He DJed before us. And I said, I went up to him while he was DJing. I was like, how many more songs do you have? Because we're about to play. And he's like, just a couple more. It's all about me. Yeah. It's all about me. <laughs> That's actually, that was his accent. That was yeah. spot on, by the way. Wow. Yeah, that was. Wait, was he here? Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I actually, that brings it like, have you seen, because, you know, 10 years, it is a while, but also it yeah, is a change in the landscape. Oh, you've, to- yeah, it. you've totally seen it. Uh, like, oh, yeah. Have you seen shift. also, like, it, it feels, it feels like on the outside now that, like, you know, when we were younger, there were more like, you know, local scenes that would generate bands and like a lot more mm. bands that eventually, even if they moved out of the punk world, were coming from like more of like a punk mentality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that isn't the case as much anymore. And like so you've got bands who are starting younger with more of this entitled idea about being a star even if it means a smaller like level band yeah you're starting with an entitlement yeah it's like it's like you're dealing with younger civil war reenactment right i mean nobody's really going through these raw experiences nobody is you know everything is so overstimulating and juicy it's like Anytime you want to give a reference, you just look at your fucking phone right. and give a reference. But I feel like nobody's really going through it right. and singing and doing or writing these songs with the actual experience. And that's a lot of times not their own fault because right. they don't know any better, yeah. which is totally true. Right. Um, but I just feel like, you know... My generation was like the last one to use a typewriter or right. something like that, you know, and that's just, you know, I, I sound a little senior talking like that. But it's true. It <laughs> but feels it's true. Like it, I it, mean, it, it's just everything's too easy. Right. And, and the problem also is, is that these new bands are so self-aware mm-hmm. yeah. that that becomes the issue because right. it's like. You become so self-aware, you're like almost become a virgin working in a sex shop or something. Right. It's like you right. don't, you're not, um, you're not using your guts. You're right. using, you're, you're editing yourself. You're not investing in like what you should be. And it's like you're playing these things, but you're paying too much attention to what is going to be filtered outside of it. Exactly. Um, yeah. it's like when a show happens now, 
when we went to shows, I mean, you yeah. guys can argue with me, but back in the day when we went to shows, and I'm quoting Fran Leibowitz because her documentary <laughs> on HBO was fucking amazing. Yeah. So this was going out to Fran. Yeah, this is out to Fran. <laughs> but she, but she stated that like culture changed right. when the stage became the same level as the audience, mm-hmm. and that's so true because when you go to a sh- when we went to shows, it was like. The band was a mystery. Right. I didn't know they had a turkey wrap this afternoon for lunch. Uh-huh. They were a mystery. <laughs> and if I wanted to know about that band, there were probably only two or three photos available of right. them. Yeah. And they were just, they were heroes. Right. No matter what, you know, they were just at a higher level. Yeah. And now when kids go to shows, or a lot of people go to shows, it's their show. Right. I'm going to tell you what I think of this show. Yeah, right. And that's when it becomes. And there's the outlet to do that, too. Of course. Yeah. And that's, and that's you know, and bands have to sort of succumb to that, too. It's right. like new bands are now in this landscape where it's the audience's show. So right. you're almost like, it's Hunger Games out there. Because I feel like I have to fight even myself, like my my desire to make a joke on Twitter versus yes. actually processing stuff. Like, I, I despise, like, seeing jokes like, I just saw this or like I'm in the middle of watching this and this is terrible yes. already. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I, and I, I, I will see myself do that at mm-hmm. the expense of a cheap joke mm-hmm. and then realize later, like, hey, I kind of frustrate myself doing that. Like I'd rather well, that's, put that, it aside. For that's the culture of inst- instant gratification. Right. And I, but I, I think it's interesting what you were saying just about as kind of a, a, a side to going to, concerts and you know seeing them like coming mm-hmm. from and to what you were saying jeff earlier coming from like a punk you know or right. hardcore background where you're going to shows and bands are there is no stage and there is the 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 band audience is kind of as one but it's also because there was no pretense that like we're gonna get rich and famous off of this right, right. this is right. about the community this is about us playing for the kids we're kids ourselves right. there's no there's there's nothing beyond what we're doing right right and so it was much more organic you know, 15 or 20 years right. ago where a band would eventually get discovered through slugging it out, playing VFW halls or right. just playing shitty shows every you, weekend. to a fault too. Yeah. Where to the point where like, I just remember like orchid shows at the end where I was like, we probably should just play on the stage. <laughs> like honestly, yeah. Yeah. like there's like 300 kids or whatever, yeah. like for random, so, like those bigger shows, it's like, they're not going to see anyone. Like yep. it's they, like the, it's for now. We're playing for ten people yeah. who can see us. But the the idea is yeah. that bands don't have to do that these days. So so why you know like uh, and especially living in you know uh, Brooklyn or in New York mm-hmm. where like there's a magnifying glass on the quote unquote scene as right. it is. Um, the idea of kind of paying your dues has totally changed. You don't pay your dues yeah. anymore. Right. I mean, paying your dues right now is going on tour and. Even that, it's like now you can, it's just a different experience. Yeah, right. It's a lot easier. Even going on a tour, you have a map at your fingertips all the time. Yep. And you're not getting just, lost. Just not- going on the tour, because there's so many bands that never even get to that level. Right. Yeah. Where like they can, you know, they can actually go on a tour. And at that point, yeah, you're, you're paying your dues, but you're also feeling like, look, I'm a fucking band on tour. Like, how right. awesome is this? doesn't matter that there's nobody at this show in, in right, Missoula, exactly. Montana right. on a Monday mm-hmm. night. But- I do remember what a novel day it was where we realized we there was GPS that existed that we could bring on, like, one of the last Panthers tours. Yeah, that was... That G- changed. That was... Well, it's a GPS, too. and it's also, like, 
going on tour is so much more of a yes. healthy experience. I yeah. mean, now you could say, oh, where's the Whole Foods in right. Mahalusa, Montana, right. or whatever. That right. sounds like a Jewish <laughs> town in Montana. That is, that's the Orthodox <laughs> Enclave. That's, that's the only uh, one I would look up. It's right next to Briss, North Dakota. Yeah, that's, <laughs> hey, it's the promise of the West. That whole part of the country is is undiscovered. Yeah, I forgot about that, too, Like, because I've been on tour in a while. Like, It probably would be a lot easier for well, me to be vegetarian you can go. Yeah, you can go Smoothie to smoothie. Because I ate nothing city. but garbage for years. No, but see, that, that at least Taco for Bell. me was the best part of it. Was Because even though we were touring 2004 to 2009, it was like we tried to eke out the last of that re- of the regional differences. Of, you know, mm-hmm. let's bring our road food guide and we got to eat at this place in Indiana and this place see, and for in me, Methuselah. That's the only vegetarian in Methuselah. Uh, but in you might have, yeah. Yeah, it would be like. I can't wait to get to Chicago to get to Soul Veg. Oh, wait, no one else wants to go. Yeah. yeah. Shit, I have to borrow the fan while they all go eat meat. Uh, and it, be, it ended yeah. up being actually a lonely experience. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that for me, I, at least, you know, I think there you can get certain things out of, out of the touring experience. But more to the point, it's this idea that, like, it's kind of a privilege to be able to do that yeah. as opposed to like yes. playing Arlene's Grocery you know every weekend or the Bag It In or something sure. <laughs> we're back to the Bag It In <laughs> the, the Bag It In so, so you're about to start working with uh, Light in the Attic yes okay so and they do a lot of uh, reissues right mm-hmm. and it's only a, reissues only yeah. reissues right. pretty much yeah, yeah so and I know that a lot of your tastes lean backwards yes you know in terms of what you really like and I think both of us also kind of uh, empathize with mm-hmm. that and being kind of like a record nerd what is it if you if there's a way that you can encapsulate the mystique mm-hmm. of like late 60s early 70s kind of you know uh, country influenced rock and like soft rock and and a lot of stuff that you, f- you listen to it you feel good mm-hmm. like what 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 would have attracted to you to like that well stuff? i think it's kind of it kind of lends itself to what i was just saying it's like uh, time to focus. Mm-hmm. I don't think that people are focusing and giving their all to things like they did years ago. Mm-hmm. I think that you had time to be a game changer. Um, you, I think, um, there's a lot of like gutting warmth to that time. You can see it, especially in the seventies. You know, I'm I'm very attracted to like the raw um, pain slash heart of the 70s. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the music I listen to is like, you know, fall on the floor, heartbreak, but also with a hint of Muppetry to it as well. Um, I don't really know if I've found that in another sort of yeah. decade. I think that we've sort of snowballed ourselves into a more materialistic society and a more narcissistic society. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that has a lot to do with it. Um, and yeah, just more time and paying attention to things. I think whether it was hard at that time or not, mm-hmm. I mean, you could see it in seventies movies too. I mean, seventies American films. Yeah. yeah. You don't have right. to tell it. We, last Just night, last night. Uh, uh, for the listener, it won't be last night. Last night, Jeff and I went to go see a screening of Sorcerer, the oh, William wow. Friedkin movie. At, Billy Friedkin. At Brooklyn Academy of Music. And cool. Billy Friedkin did a Q&A afterwards. Oh, and he was unbelievable. <laughs> Billy Friedkin, this episode's going out to you. You gotta but, listen no. to your film. I, 
I, I agree with everything you're saying. And I, mm-hmm. I also, and this is something I think we can talk about, this idea that at that time, you had to be pretty good to get a record deal. Like it oh, wasn't yeah, like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. there was, you filters, know. Filters, filters. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And it's classic rock for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like not everybody had the the privilege of signing because there there was no viable uh independent network of labels yeah. i mean you had private press and stuff like that but i mean the real deal were were the majors and to get to that point unless you were the dictators or something who right. we spoke to earlier who got signed on without playing a show right you had to have a modicum of talent and craft yeah. to even have a record made yes yeah 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 <laughs> I mean that's and that's that's the word on that. So here, no, so, it's true, it's true, and I feel like yeah. I mean, there were some amazing, amazing, you know, people that were talented and and, and full of that in that era that I'm, that didn't get the deals, and there were records that came out that didn't get the press. Of yep. course, I mean, same mm-hmm. kind of thing. But for some reason, when I go back to those records, like someone like a Judy Sill or someone mm-hmm. like is a perfect example of someone that really didn't get the the, the push, praise yeah. or push but she was just as good as her you know and what was that's the allure for me is that in the digging is mm. is the digging and finding like you know that there probably are like you'll find like a bunch of records from then that are like fine and maybe there's a reason that we all don't talk about them mm. as much but then like i just there's like a synthesis from i think it was from upstate new york michael garrison oh like, yeah Michael Garrison's stuff is mind blowing. He put it out all himself, and and I think it's better. It's as good, uh, if not better, sometimes than Tangerine Dream, who I love, obviously. But like he, you know, he put out like eight records by himself, mm-hmm. died alone, <laughs> like as not well. That's he's, he's also, but like, and he's like this hidden jet. Like when I found it, it was like a mind blower. Of like, how did I not know about this guy who's yeah. existed since nineteen seventy four? But know? I think he's also the exception. I think because his stuff is at a, is kind of he set the bar a little higher than a lot of other like you know private press stuff. Or I, I mean, I don't know what you uh, uh, how you feel about it, but I always feel that that stuff is almost always <laughs> over. Rated in terms of you got to hear this 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 white label private press. I, I, yeah, yeah. We talked about it. this. I have more of an allure for the like because I do think there are the hidden gems. But yeah, well, yeah. Like, what, what, what do you, do you th- what do you think when you when you get to that kind of collector mentality? And and dis, uh, this is this is not to say like something like a Judy So, which I think came out on Electro or Asylum or Asylum. Yeah. yeah so like. You know, those records, you could theoretically find them at any point in time since they came out, like in mm-hmm. a dollar bin. Sure. But, you know, the real collectible $100 and more sure. records that were only, there was a, you know, pressing of 300 mm. like That a, gets the Like bl- a, what's his name? Bobby Brown? Hawaii, the guy? That was only a, a 300 Is pressing? That, I don't know. The Humpty, uh, Maybe. I'm Humping Around? The humping Around? <laughs> Yeah, that was believe- not that Bobby 19- Brown. <laughs> Bobby Brown, Jamie Lane's wife from Lawrence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, but this this idea that the records that you really could not have heard before the internet unless you had access, sure. you know, right? Sure. I mean, do you feel like the blog, you know, kind of stuff that blogs love in that sure. or did years ago when you could download those records? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm so years. grateful for them. Oh, of course. I just yeah. don't. I just hate when people are snotty about it. Yes. I hate when I do not, I am such an advocate about filter. I think it is so important to filter this music to kids. They do not have any idea who these artists are. And for, for someone to think that they're better than somebody else for knowing about these private presses really bums me yeah, out. Right. I mean, I remember. A um, world of record store employees. 
Well, yeah, it's just for me. I mean, I, I did Rotter and Friends just for that reason. Like, right. let's have like let's have these shirts go out there and let the kids learn about these records. It's mm-hmm. like we did an event for Bob Trimble uh, mm-hmm. in 2009 and uh, put out a seven inch of two of his songs. And it was mm-hmm. really just, it, I, I got money from Arizona iced tea to produce an event. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this money uh-huh. and put out a Bob Trimble seven inch, m- illustrate some Bob Trimble stuff and have him play his first New York show ever. Right. And we did it. And Bob Trimble came. He's like, looks like E.T. in the dying scene. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> but he's so excited to be there. the dying scene. It's an image I can picture of being yeah. like It's terrifying. And I see this old record head, yeah. who I'm not going to name names, who's complete. By the way, everybody at the event got the free 7-inch right. and the tote bag. And... I would like to tell you that 70% of the people there did not know who Bob Trimble right. was, but was totally blown away. Right. And I have this old guy, I hear, I overhear him being like, ah, fuck this event, Arizona Ice Tea, Bob Trimble, blah, blah, blah. Was that Howard Cosell? Fuck this event. The Asian kid for better off dead. <laughs> I was so pissed Long off, though. Tongue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Long duck tongue. I was so Fuck pissed Mom off. Trimble. <laughs> yeah. Hey, good. Yeah. Go all the way. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like E.T. in the dying scene. <laughs> so this guy is just is, is, is a But I was a so pissed because I was just like, dude, don't oh, who you, do you realize want? Yeah, what do you, that right. you yeah. are not this, like, dark lord keeper of this beautiful music. Like, right. The point, the reason that you're angry all the time is that people don't know about this music because they're, you know, they just don't know because it's not out there. You need to, like, create and do things and be that voice for people to learn about Bob Trimble and learn about those records because they're amazing. So... Keeping it to yourself does... Keeping it does, to yourself does, and you know, just, like, being this curmudge and Sergeant Grumbles yeah. in the corner. Like, <laughs> go fuck yourself. It's the, That's... A, that's it. <laughs> That's yeah. It's like even beyond the inner. That's the hard part for me of music and record collecting culture is mm-hmm. those guys because it's in every world of collecting. There's those guys. It's like oh, you yeah. know the seventy percent of people at the FMU record fair that I don't want to touch yes. because they're like pushing me out of the way to look at jazz seventy eights and they've got like a hundred of them. Yeah. yeah, and they smell and they're like <laughs> the rudest yes. people in the yeah, world. Well, that's, yeah. Uh, and it's just, it can be a nightmare sometimes. But that's I, when I'm just like, oh, people Yeah, it's not easy as a female either. Sure. You know, I yeah. mean, I'm, there is not a lot of females in right. this world. And, and it's not, it's definitely not an easy But thing. I, you know, yeah. I think it's interesting that you're like, let's take the example of, of Judy Sill again. It's like mm. someone or a few people thought that this was worth, that, that she was worth signing to the label. And sure. I'm sure at the time, who, who knows, I'm a hundred thousand copies they pressed or whatever right. like someone someone recognized the talent there and took a chance on her made the rec made two records and and they went out into the world as opposed to like and this is because there wasn't the infrastructure for an independent record scene at the time as opposed to the private and when we say private press it's like literally the band made the record themselves right. and put it mm-hmm. out and because it 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 because it's pressed in such a small amount, it instantly becomes a, or not, maybe not instantly, but it eventually becomes a collector's item. And there is that collector mentality that nobody knows about this. So it's just, 
it's got to be better than Black Sabbath because right. it's it's supposed to like, yeah. and it never is. As right. opposed to that's why I'm interested. I love scouring, you know, the dollar bins and things like that because you have all of these major label records that sure. ne- that just didn't get the push or they didn't catch on or for whatever reason. Well, it becomes very personal immediately. Yeah. I mean, when we went to that, I went to that Big Star documentary mm-hmm. of premiere, a screening of that uh, a couple months ago, and it was amazing. It was like the crowd was all like New York record store, def- right. FMU again on ice, like everybody was there, you know, and so many... Um, musicians and big star fans who some of them are like cartoon characters. Right. Um, but for these people, it was like a big star is like the musician's musician yeah. or something. And it was like, because they're like just enough under the radar that the big star to these people, the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck the Beatles. It's big star. Right. And that was a kind of crazy thing to see too, because it was like, that this is the band that these people drop when they say who their favorite band of all time. Yes, yeah, you know, and that's an, a very interesting Power thing pop about nerds big. Are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I might think cool. of the Jazz seventy eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it because it was just a really like passionate. Right. You know, it's definitely a passionate crowd, but they, but it definitely was. You know that there's a little bit of snottiness there yeah. because oh, yeah. there, it's cool to say Big Star sure, is your definitely. favorite band of all time. But the the other thing is that if Big Star, if certain Big Star songs were given a chance, like there's no reason why they couldn't have been oh, sure. huge hits. And that that's, seventy that's the show proves that the exact yeah, yes. exactly. So, so you mentioned Rodder and Friends earlier. Yes, and you know this is your. uh Clothing line slash illustration funhouse. Yeah, it's like a little clubhouse. <laughs> and you give us, give us. Let's let me let's Rodder's Fantasy Factory. Let's, uh, it's a new show. It's a spinoff of Rob Deardex's Fantasy. Let's book. let's pull one out of the hat here. You said you had a uh, give us a worst gig involving Rodder and friends, and maybe uh, let's say a '70s sitcom okay. persona. <laughs> well, if you I, have one, a story like that. Well, uh, so Rodder and Friends is a t-shirt line and it's mostly, um, rarer music of the 60s and 70s. So I didn't want to do like Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin. I wanted to do more people like right. Captain Beefheart, Link Ray, you know, mm. stuff like that. But when I first started, um, I was sort of trying to be this sort of 70s clubhouse in a way. Mm-hmm. And someone had mentioned that, um, he had done a t-shirt line way back in the day with uh, Ron Palillo, who was Horshack from Welcome Back Cotter. And I had this grand idea of saying, you know what? Why don't we get Ron to do a t-shirt? Welcome back. Love Rotter. I mean, it's really great. <laughs> and so I ended up going to Hell's Kitchen to this frightening apartment. I mean... Magenta walls. Ugh. He collected nutcrackers. It smelled like a cigarette and a belly button. It was disgusting. <laughs> and Ron's there and he begins to pull out all the artwork from under his bed. And it was just beyond. And Ugh. I'm just dying. And he's just like, here is a naked man with a remote control pointing <laughs> to the sky. And this piece is called Remote Control to God. A lot of layers and, to that one already. Um, he showed me a short film of him, no. like, biting into an apple and blood came out of it. I mean, this man has been very busy. Yeah. Um, 
And, you can't uh, follow your passions. You know? Yes. <laughs> so we ended up making this shirt, which actually was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I've, I was I managed to collage two of his drawings, and we made this shirt. And one, of course, he was a little bit. He wanted a little bit more, but we ended up with the one. And at the same time, when the T-shirt collection launched, I had a party um, for just Rotter and Friends Spring Collection. Mm-hmm. I, I had it at this really great space on Eleventh Street. So many people were there, and it was it was awesome. And 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 Ron shows up with the t-shirt tucked into his suit, uh-huh. and he comes in and he's like, "I'm here," and I'm like, "All right, Ron, it's cool, you know, have a drink, you know, whatever." And he's just like, "Well, um, whenever you'd like to say the speech, I'm ready." And I was like, "Oh," <laughs> I'm like, "Ron, this this." This party's not for you. It's for Rotter and friends. I'm not. I'm not. There's no speech. Like I'm not going to introduce you to everyone. And he was just destroyed. I mean, oh. he thought that this event was for him. Yeah. And wow. it was a nightmare. And <laughs> R- poor Ron tried to get more shirts out of right. it. And I just was, you know, I had to sort of break the news that it was a one-time thing. And, um. So when he passed away, all the a lot of the articles um, were of him in the suit with the T-shirt. <laughs> so every time I see that, I kind of I bummed out. But oh. you know, he he was awesome. And then that, was that, that pre or post uh, celebrity boxing? Post. Okay. It was post. That same year, um, I met up with Madame the Puppet. Yep. Um, to also have her be involved. <laughs> Wait for for the listener and myself. Who is Madam Madam the Puppet? She freaked me out as a kid. Yeah, give me a a, a primer if you will. I don't remember who her ventriloquist she... was. Waylon Flowers. Yep. Was her? Oh, she was a she was the pup the the dummy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. She was yep. a what classy? She was a classy older lady. Yeah. Was the puppet character? Okay. She said can... jokes like, "I wear summer diamonds. Some are real. Some aren't." Yeah. Uh, you would love her, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You actually <laughs> would love her. No, I, yes. I, I, I'm if you seeing saw a photo, in my head, yeah. you would, I'm trying yeah. to think of what she was on. Hollywood mostly. Squares. That's yeah. She oh, had her okay. own square. Okay, okay, okay. it's vaguely familiar. She's yes. on Hollywood Squares, and she was uh, with. Uh, she did like skits with like B. Arthur. Yeah. And, like, okay. She was always on like Johnny Carson and shit. Yeah. But anyway, I of course that same year, I don't know what was wrong with me, but it ended up. <laughs> Getting connected with her manager, and we met up on 23rd Street, and um, the manager was like this, you know, older woman from Forest Hills, Jew. We hit it off right away. Um, Forest Hills, by the way, the home of rock and roll, from what from what we've yeah. been told. Yeah. We've been yeah. told the- uh, and, uh, Andy Chernoff. Andy Chernoff of The Dictators yeah. has told us that oh. Forest Hills is the- because- uh, uh, Leslie West from Mountain went there, yeah. went to the high school. They oh. were the Ramones, of course. Yeah. Uh, was was Kramer uh, Wayne Kramer? Did he grow I, up there and move to think, Detroit? I, I think Wayne said, Kramer yeah. may have gone to anyway. Far wow! As, and yeah. then of course Madame the Puppet. So yeah. Madame the Puppet. So apparently when Waylon Flowers passed away, he he gave his whole estate to this woman, and, oh. and she told me stories about how Sid and Marty Croft and her used to, you know, get hammered in Beverly Hills in the seventies <laughs> and like the whole puppet subculture and like right. which was really fascinating. And then she was like. Madam's here, <laughs> and sure enough, there was a box with uh. Madam chilling at the coffee Oy. shop. 
Um, this was a great moment in my life when I asked myself why I was single. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> a, I love the puppet in the the legs folded up, like just. She was telling me about how you know handlers of Madame, you know, got upset because people were paying more attention to the puppet than them, and they Madame lost her eyebrows once being thrown across a room. Um, so it was a bit, that was a moment, and when I was like, okay, well can you do a video for Rotter and uh. Friends? And it was like, well, can you be Madam's publicist? Mm, a barter. It was a barter. Wow. So I couldn't really, I couldn't really move forward, but those were kind of some crazy moments, early moments in Rotter yeah, and Friends. Yeah, that's, I, I guess, you know, that, that intersection between like celebrity endorsement and right. the reality of yes. dealing with that person. You know, oh, it'd be great to talk to, uh, to get this person involved. And then, it actually happened. Then you realize you, the reality of what they are now yes. and what they've become. Yeah. That was a real forehead slap for me. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because those two characters, I was just doing it for kind of fun purposes. Sure. And was there a Madame the Puppet shirt at any point? No, I just, I wanted her to wear the shirt and be like, talk about right. like 70s disco or right. something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and so uh, here's, here's an interesting question. Talking about this whole thing, because I feel... Mike Watt of the Minutemen once said, you, you don't get to pick what year you're born. Yes. The end. No, you don't get to pick what year you're born. <laughs> uh, moving on. Anyway. But I feel like if you could have, like, what's your ideal year that you are, that, you, that, you, that you're growing? I mean, hey, if, if you could have any time. Like, let's say mm-hmm. I want to be the age I am now in, like, 1973. Give, give up all the trappings of contemporary society, all this stuff. Would you? I, I some most days I feel I would. Yeah. Most I days I'm so. like I'd rather be 34 years old. Well, see, the thing is, I'd probably want to be 34 years old in like 1980. Right. So I would no. have been 24. Well, to be 34 in 1973 means you've, you're you're a little older. You're older than the right. whole kind of hippie generation. Yeah. You basically want to be your parents' age, is what it is. Right. You know, your my parents were, you know. Uh, in 20 in the late six in 68 69 that seems right. to like be the ideal age sure mm-hmm. so, you basically, so i basically want to be my parents but forever <laughs> you would do that whatever this year is i feel like i don't know i mean uh, look there's there are a lot of great things in 2013 or whatever sure. whatever the fuck year it is um but baptiste I, yeah. my, my dog baptiste who was who was just chilling on the couch here i and, think i would just personally want to scott baculate like or oh, well, on a look. leap where I could hop, like, just be like, "All right, let's go see Genesis." Yeah, and then I'll also go see Suspiria. Oh, of course! Like, look, if I had, if I had a choice to go, get the fuck out yeah, of no, here. that that would be amazing. But I mean, you need to have an uh, an either or scenario for this. All right, cool. Yes, for question. this, yes. Yeah, so we're okay. So we're I'm just curious, just you. because you have you, one year, you clearly get it and you clearly appreciate it and and love it. And I mean, would you want to live in that time though and experience it? Um, I think I would. I think it is also kind of cool to take cues from that and try to experience it now with all the cool stuff and resources we have. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, what is the balance? You know, I think it's, I think we, we live in a really exciting time. I mean, it's a really distracting time, but if you're able to like pick and choose who you're able to like, hang with and like be able to get those experiences and know that they're out there and they're so accessible now. I mean, that's pretty rad, but like 
Yeah, of course I would love to live in time. You just take me back. Get out of here. <laughs> I was gonna say up until like I'll take your answer. Like, like forget what I said. That was that was great. Uh, so coming full circle here, a question that we ask all of our guests on the show. Uh oh. What do you think of the word gig? <sighs> what do I think of the word gig? Well, I think it is a lost art. Interesting. And I really would like to see something that I remember in a year's time. Whereas now I see a lot of gigs in uh-huh. my life. And I don't see a lot of memorable ones. Oh. It's a, it's a very personal answer. Yeah. Really? Yeah. No, it's, I, I, mean, I was going to say, because you'd think concerts in the 60s and 70s were probably ga- like I'm sure the musicians referred to them as gig. ultimate like, gigs. There was no stigma against the word gig, God, like no. the way we grew up. In mm-hmm. you went to a show, you know, you didn't go, yeah. or it was a concert if it was, you know, a, a mysterious band, as yeah. it were. Uh, but gig is uh, the lost art of the gig. It is. Well, listen, Jess, you have all of this stuff going on. You got the T-shirts. <laughs> you got the PR. Hey, you've known me since I was. We. You know, what? I wasn't. I wasn't going to say, but for the listener. Jess and I go way back. In the way back way, machine. In the, we're, getting the in the, way back. we're getting in the way back. How do you think about going back to 1994? What about that? I think it's 1993. I think that's when we first uh-huh. met. Uh, you're embarking for uh, the the West Coast shortly. Yes. So you have La La Labs. You got a Hollyweird. You can hang out with some puppy people. Exactly. Oh my God. Puppy people, Cubby, Broccoli. You got a lot of stuff going on. But in order to do that, you just got to get home safe. Thank you. Worst gig ever. 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 ever.